So you can open up to uh, 1 John chapter 4. At Crossway, we've been in a series on 1 John. Um, One particular brand of humor is two kinds of people jokes. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with some of them. There's two kinds of people in the world, those who have a way with words and those who have not way. Um, There are three types of people in the world, those that can count and those that can't. Uh, There are 10 types of people in the world, those that understand binary and those who don't. Now, I have no idea what that means, but I'm assuming you computer types would actually understand it and maybe think it was funny. Uh, there are two times of people in the world, those with a short attention span and, oh, look over there, an airplane. Now, um, actually, those jokes are not that funny. <laughs> but John isn't joking at all when he tells us today that there are only two types of people in the world. He is is deadly serious. It's a life and death matter to him. Because brothers and sisters, there are only two types of people in the world. Those who believe that Jesus has come in the flesh and those that don't those who are from God and those that aren't, those with the spirit of God and those who have the spirit of the world. But here's the big question for us. How do we know which is which? How how do we discern? How do we know the difference between these two types? And this is especially important question in the day in which we live, where there is so much access to information and teaching, and you can go online and there's so many books. And how how do I know? How do I tell the difference of what kind of person is speaking to me? And this is what John actually addressed to this glorious church, and we want to take a look at today. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, I I pray that you would help us today in a in, in a world where uh, there are a lot of spirits out there speaking. Uh, I pray that you would help us to, to learn from John today, not only this ability to test, 
but also the encouragement that as Christians, as your children, you will, by the Holy Spirit, enable us to pass the test. So please grant me today your spirit to speak truth, to speak well, to speak helpfully to your people. Give uh, your people uh, the spirit to test and know and understand. Uh, May it affect their minds and affect their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might have noticed that I was reading, there's a lot of spirits in this passage that can get kind of confusing. So whenever I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, I'll say the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we'll be talking about other types of spirit. So John begins this this passage, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And there's there's a reason that this is necessary, because... Many false prophets, and I think in context it also includes false teachers, many false prophets and teachers have gone out into the world. Now, we don't want to miss that word many, because uh, to John, this isn't a minor problem. This isn't an isolated problem. There is an all-out assault on the gospel that started with these first churches that has continued throughout the history of the church and actually continues in our day and till the very day that Jesus uh, returns. And behind these prophets and teachers, John tells us that there are spirits. Now, what does John mean when he says spirits? Well, in the gospels, Spirits are always connected to the devil. We see Jesus speaking of unclean spirits frequently. Uh, He speaks of evil spirits. In Revelation, uh, John writes of demonic spirits. Here he's talking about the spirit that is behind the person who is speaking or writing. Uh, John Stott summed this up so well. He said, behind every prophet is a spirit, and behind every spirit is either God or the devil. Behind every prophet, teacher, is a spirit, and behind that spirit is either God or the devil. In in 1 John 2, 26, earlier in the book, John wrote to them, I write these things to you who are trying to deceive you, or the NIF says, lead you astray. So, so note, this isn't something accidental. This isn't an, intimate, uh, an, an innocent mistake. He's not talking about someone who perhaps uh, just got something a little wrong. He, he's talking about a, a purposeful effort to uh, deceive people, to lead people astray. And so how are we then to know the difference? How, how are we to do it? Well, John says we are to do it by testing the spirits to see whether it's the spirit from God, the Holy Spirit, or see if it's some other spirit. And here John gives us the most fundamental test, the, the down to the bedrock test, the most fundamental test of the spirit behind any prophet or teacher. In verse two, he says this, by this, by this, the fundamental test, the bedrock test, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God. Now, at first blush, that can seem like a very narrow test. Because what if the prophet or teacher isn't talking about whether Jesus came in the flesh or not? What if the prophet or teacher is, is talking about something uh, completely different? Well, he, he, here's what John is trying to get at. No matter what the prophet is talking about, no matter what the teacher is, is, is talking about, no matter what, what the subject uh, is, the truest test is the trustworthiness of that person's gospel. The truest test is, is to get to the very root. What do they believe about the gospel? Because if a person doesn't get Jesus right, if a person doesn't get the gospel right, then they're not to be trusted with anything. That's why this is such a, a, a critical test. And the first act of the gospel, if you will, is the incarnation. The first act of the gospel is Jesus coming in the flesh. One scholar called the incarnation the central miracle of Christianity. But while it is the first act of the gospel, the incarnation has... Um, implications for, for the entire gospel. The rest of the gospel uh, cascades down from or rolls down from the reality of the, of the incarnation, the reality that Jesus comes to the flesh. That's why John points to this as the critical test. Um, notice that he said he has come. That carries the idea of preexistence that Jesus came from somewhere and where he came from as the very throne of God, as the son of God, the, the second member of the Godhead, the second member of the Trinity. It, it also implies for us that he didn't just come to, to show up and hang around. Uh, he came with a mission to save. His, his coming and his mission, we can never, we can never separate those two. They're, they're intricately tied together. And so by denying that Jesus comes in the flesh, these people are denying both his purpose for coming, which is to save, and his ability to save once he uh, indeed comes. Uh, his purpose, Jesus himself told us in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. That, that's why he came. And it also has to do with his ability because it is, it is him coming in the flesh that enables him to save, enables him to be our savior. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross as our sinless substitutionary sacrifice was effectual because he was the son of God, because he was fully God, because only God could pay the price for our sins. We sang this morning about the debt that we owed. Only God could pay the price for our sins. And by virtue of his incarnation, fully man, for only God ought to pay that debt. Mark Dumber, Dever uh, summed this up so well. He said, the sacrifice is one who is fully God and fully man was necessary for guilty man to be reconciled to a holy God. 
But that's, that's not the end of it. His, his resurrection also, it testifies to us to the efficacy of the cross. God, God announced by his rising from the dead that the cross was effectual in, in forgiving our sins. But uh, it also testifies to the reality of the incarnation that Jesus has come in the flesh. It's what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans 1, 4, that uh, through the resurrection, he was declared to be, Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, the, most of the early heresies of the church, most of the early controversies of the church, uh, the reasons that people write catechisms like the Heidelberg Catechism, etc., etc., uh, it has to do with this issue. The question of, did Jesus actually come in the flesh? And if so, what was the nature of that coming? And what, what did it look like to be fully God and fully man? And the same thing is true today. N- nothing has changed today. Many, many revere Jesus as a, as, as a great teacher and a moral example to us. But you just say that Jesus came in the flesh, born of a virgin, to save us from our sins, fully God and fully... Well, you've just crossed... You've crossed the bridge too far. You've, you've, you've crossed the line there. That kind of thinking is the heart of the liberal church uh, today. Oh, we, we love Jesus' example. We love his teaching, but come on. Come in the flesh. No, we, we draw the line there. All of the so-called Christian cults like the Mormons, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Christian science, every cult at its heart gets Jesus wrong. Uh, The world religions, uh, the God by any other name idea that Jews and Christians and Muslims all, all worship the same God. And you can go online and find many people, many professing Christians would say, yes, uh, they do. And then the, the, the pluralistic many ways to God has become a truism in our day, but, but a horribly destructive truism. Jesus is not just one of many possible ways to God. He is the only way. The other thing that's so dangerous about this, it includes this not so subtle denial that there's something keeping us from God in the first place or that there's something that we might need to be saved from. But the writers of scripture continually attest to this. John himself in 1 John 2, 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. John fourteen six in his gospel, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. In Acts four twelve, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved, by which they must be saved. Now, uh, to our non-Christian friends, if you're, if you're with us today and, and you're not a Christian, I first want to just thank you for being here. 
but I, I, I want you to hear uh, what, I, what I just said, the, 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 the gospel that I just communicated, Jesus coming in the flesh, dying, uh, a substitutionary death, rising from the dead. That's, that's the heart of the gospel, and no one can be saved apart from believing that. But, but here's, here's really good news that I, that I want to encourage you with today, and that is this. In another place, Scripture says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So no one can come apart from him, but everyone, everyone who comes through him. So no matter what's keeping you, if you think, well, I'm too sinful or you've never accepted me, whatever the case may be, everyone who in faith calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Conversely, on the flip side, in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming into the world already. Now, it's very interesting that, that John says, you, you've already heard about the Antichrist. The, this teaching about the Antichrist was part of early Christian teaching and, and, and preaching that there would be this Antichrist person who in the, in the very last days uh, before the second coming of Jesus would come. But John tells us that there's also been this spirit of Antichrist that's been in the world since uh, the, very, the, the very beginning. It's, it's the spirit that both opposes Jesus, but also tries to counterfeit Jesus. And that spirit has been in the world from the very beginning. So the, the first call here because of this proliferation of many false prophets and, and teachers down through the ages is that we need to test the spirits. But the second call here, the encouragement is that we also need to trust the Holy Spirit in that process. So test the spirits. Second point, trust the Holy Spirit. What I just said can actually kind of become a source of anxiety to us, can it? Well, well, what if I'm deceived? What, you know, what if, I, I mean, I, I don't know the Bible that well, and, and these people are clever, and, and they have these spirits, and, 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 and what if I get deceived sometime, or, or what if I fail the test? Well, John, John is going to give us three groups in this very assuring answer. You, they, and we. First of all, uh, in verse four, you. Now, the you here, when he says you here, he's not just talking to individuals, although he is talking to individuals, but he's not just talking to individuals, he's talking to churches. He's saying as individuals, as churches, you, um, and he, he begins verse four with little children. It's a common affectionate term like beloved. But in the original languages, the emphasis is flipped. The original says, you are from God, little children. You are from God, little children. He wants to, he wants to point that reality out right at the very beginning. You are from God. Now, in what sense does he mean that? Well, certainly he, he means it in the sense of being born of God. 
of being children of God. Uh, John's uh, epistles and certainly his his gospel is is full of this idea of being born of God and being children of God. John heavily emphasizes uh, both of them. Uh, we might say something like, "You're included among God's people." Or, or you belong to God, or God is the source of your life. So he, he's addressing here uh, genuine believers. And he says about you, about this church, you have overcome. Uh, we've overcome by holding to the truth, certainly. We've, we've overcome uh, by successfully testing the spirits and distinguishing what's the Holy Spirit from what's these demonic spirits. But there's a reason that we've overcome. And that's, that's the important point that John is helping to see. The reason we've overcome is this. He who is in you, meaning the Holy Spirit, he who is in you, the Holy Spirit who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. We overcome because of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is greater than all of these spirits that are in the world trying to deceive or lead people astray. I always have to laugh when I come to this passage, because if you're a football fan, oftentimes those little eye black things that uh, football players wear, uh, they'll have this uh, verse, for, you know, First John uh, 4, uh, 4, um, as though John's original intent, you know, we got to get something in here to help football players to really have faith that they're, that they're going to win the game. But that's not what he's talking about at all, is it? We overcome because as individual Christians... And as the church, we possess the Holy Spirit. And no spirit can overcome him. No, no, no spirit is more, is more powerful than him. And because they can't overcome him, they can't overcome you. And they can't overcome this church. B because of the, of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious because he is greater than any of the, the spirits that are in the world. In other words, we're, we're not, we don't overcome because we're super discerning Bible scholars. We, we, we don't overcome because we're smart. We overcome, but we do so because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That, that's how we are able to overcome. That abides in you and abides in me. That that Holy Spirit is greater than he, in other words, any other spirit who is in the world. Now, there's two related issues here that are important for us. The first is, is the word of God. Because the spirit of God and the word of God always work together. See, we can't think that this overcoming happens in some mystical way. That somehow, oh, we just mystically fig figure it out. Uh, no, it, we do it through the Spirit and the Word working together. Because it's the Spirit and the world, Word working together that enables us to discern truth from error. That enables us to understand what is real. His, his Word, as we apply it to, to what we hear, to, to prophets and teachers, enables us... Uh, through the, the Spirit and the Word working together to overcome. It's, it's what uh, John talks about in his gospel in eight thirty one and 32. If you abide in my word, 
you are truly disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The, the two work together. But there's also this in John seven seventeen, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, there, there's, there's an attitude of obedience that we bring to this testing. See, it, it's, it's not only the person that relies on the Spirit and the Word, but it's the person that says, it is important to me that I obey Jesus. It's important to me that I obey uh, the word. And so it it is that person that brings to this need for discernment and understanding a predisposition of obedience that says, I want to know and discern because I want to obey. I want to obey before I think about knowing and discerning. They, they work together to help us to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse uh, 5, or 4 and 5, the, the next group of people is they, those who are in the world. So who, who is it that's in the world? It's, it's the world of people that are hostile, hostile to God and hostile, hostile to his people, backed up by these unclean or evil or uh, demonic spirits. Um, that not only are they in the world, but he says they're from the world. Now, you've got to get the contrast here. We are from God. They are from uh, the world. And as a result, the world listens to them. Uh, they might say, the world speaks their language. And so, so when they speak, they make perfect sense to the world to deny that Jesus, that makes, that makes perfect sense. That, um, that there's not many, that makes perfect sense. All those things make perfect sense to them, but they don't make perfect sense to us. That, by the way, is, is, is why we need the Holy Spirit uh, in our witness, because you can tell somebody the gospel all day long and it makes no sense to them until the Holy Spirit regenerates them, and opens their hearts to the truth or the realities of the gospel. So you, God's people, they, those who are from the world, and then we. Now, when John's saying we here, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself and his fellow apostles. He says, we are from God. In other words, he's making a claim here, an important claim of apostolic authority. Apostolic authority that's based on eyewitness testimony. It's the same we, if you go back later this afternoon and look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John says, we are those who have heard him, who have seen him, who have touched him. In other words, the eyewitnesses to Jesus, that's who John is talking about here. He's talking about the apostolic authority that he has. In Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, Paul says the household of God, in other words, the church, that's built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
In other words, the, the foundation of truth, the foundation of reality is this apostolic authority, this apostolic witness. Edmund Clowney in his book in the church said it this way. The church carries the apostolic gospel down through the centuries and around the globe. What it bears is neither a memory of the gospel enshrined in tradition, nor a new gospel appropriate to a later age, but the apostolic gospel recorded in the inspired words of the New Testament. So the, the we also because John isn't around, none of the original apostles. The we also includes local church pastors who faithfully teach this apostolic gospel, who faithfully teach this apostolic witness. That's why you're so blessed to have men like Larry and Devin and John who are committed to expository preaching, who are committed to preaching through uh, the, the, the Word of God, preaching through the Bible. The, they understand, and I'm grateful that they do, that now the we have this holy and, and sobering responsibility and also the great privilege and joy to rightly handle the Word of God and to preach the Word of God to you each and every Sunday, to preach this apostolic testimony, this apostolic witness. And as a result, and uh, Devin, y'all can come. As a result, whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Whoever knows God has the Spirit of God. That, that's why they listen. That's why they get it, because of the indwelling Spirit of God. And whoever has the Spirit of God can tell the difference then because they desire to be obedient, because uh, the Spirit and the Word work together in them to discern the truth from the error. Now, there are many ways to to finish here, and I I think the main points are obviously the need to test, but the assurance of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. But there is just this wonderful, overwhelming, Trinitarian kindness that is revealed to us in these verses, that, that the Father makes us his children by sending his son Jesus, who willingly came to save us, and then the Father and the Son send God the Holy Spirit, not only to inspire the written word, so we, we'd have something to go to to discern truth and error, but to give us this ongoing discernment to distinguish truth from error. Father, I'm so grateful, so thank you. Grateful, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I just can't thank you enough for this precious church and all of the ways that because of all of the temptations, all of the many, that you have kept them safe, you have enabled them to overcome through your word, through the Spirit, through your grace. Amen.